I feel um, a degree of responsibility. Um, Tim asked me to preach about a month ago and he said, oh, so we've got this date, the 8th. I thought, oh, well, it's the second week, we, you know, it was the first. And then he goes, no, we're not meeting on the first, it's the 8th. You know, that's the first Sunday we're going to meet. And I started to really seek God, really, because I think I felt a real responsibility about, you know, launching the year. And, um, and I started to seek God. I said, God, what do you want um, to say to us? You know, because anyone who, Preachers on this platform would have that, that, that would be in their heart. They're not here just to, you know, not will come up with something. They want to know, God, what are you saying? So on Boxing Day morning, when most of you are asleep, well, probably all of you are asleep, <laughs> but about 3 a.m. in the morning, I felt God really start to speak to me. And um, I don't know, sometimes that happens to me and I'm just in bed and I'm, it's like downloading, you know, what he wants to say. And in the end, I got up, I thought I've got to write it down. So I'm coming with that and I feel like um, God wants to speak to us clearly about um, the year ahead and setting our course. So let's just pray and ask God to help me and to help you to uh, hear. And can I just say anything I say, which will, it'll be a challenging word. It's as much to me as to you. So I probably have got more affected by this than you because I've been in it you know, over these last few weeks. So let's just pray. Lord, I want to thank you that your presence is here. I want to thank you for a great church that is open to your spirit and loves your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to speak clearly and concisely, but also powerfully about your truth. And I ask you, Lord, that we would come away from this uh, more set in our course to live for you this year than ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Philippians 3, uh, chapter 3, and bits of 4 as well. And in this, um, you know, these chapters, Paul is writing and he's outlining some motivations that drive him forward and some hopes for the church, okay? When you read the Apostle Paul, he's just so rich, you know. He says, he says in one sentence what most Twitter people say in a year, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's just so rich in what he says. So let's just read it. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then God too will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. That's an amazing thing to say, isn't it? A liar. Can you just go around and say that to people? Follow my example, because I'm mature in Christ. You know, that's a, but he could say that. And he says, just as you have... Us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So then he's extending that. He's saying, yeah, look at me, but look at these guys as well in the church. Look what they're doing. Keep your eyes on them. For as often, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on temporal and earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be, so that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, chapter 4, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord and in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudodia and I plead with Cynthias to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Finally, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I love that. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, this, this evening I want to talk about three things. I want them straight away. I want to talk about standing firm. I want to talk about making disciples. And I want to talk about eagerly awaiting. Okay? Standing firm, making disciples, and eagerly awaiting. They're there in the passage. Just to say, if you forget everything I say, <laughs> you don't remember at least the phrase, the Lord is near. Okay? So you might be challenged by some of this. I just want you to know the Lord is near for you in 23. He's available for you. He's there. He can help us outwork this. So firstly, standing firm. Paul writes on in chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, my, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. And then in Thessalonians 3.8, he says, Paul writes again to the church, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now you might ask the question, Paul, that's not that ambitious. You know, is that all you've got? You know, that we've got to just stand firm. What about moving on? What about planting churches? What about seeing, you know, sending one for Christ? What about this, that and the other? And you say, stand firm. Is that it? Well, the truth is, you know, Paul is a true father in God and is very aware of the backdrop in which the church lived. It's not a backdrop of support, you know, in terms of when, when they lived in those days. It's not a backdrop where truth is embraced. It's not a backdrop of tolerance towards the church. The community believers is living in a world where debauchery is right, where wrong is right, where there is a vagueness around any absolute truth. Even within the church in those days, there also appears to be many false prophets and leaders who are drifting in their understanding of truth. In 2 Timothy 4, we read again, Paul writes, he says, For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they shall gather to themselves teachers in accordance with their own lusts and desires. Well, this is Paul's backdrop as he writes, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So we ask the question, well, Australia 2023, what's our backdrop? Well, to be honest, not much different. <laughs> not, not a lot different. Um, immorality, um, right is wrong. Um, well, there's no wrong sometimes. Tolerance is considered the ultimate virtue and is expressed towards everyone and everything except you could argue Christian belief and any absolute truth. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not a statement that would be readily embraced in our society. 
It's just not embraced. I mean, it would be considered very narrow. Very narrow. You know, you can't just, you can't say that. You say, like, what about all the faiths? And yet Jesus is the only way. You really believe that? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> I believe that Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who ever died on the cross for my sin. He's the only one who sacrificed his blood so I can have a relationship with him. But that sort of perception in our society would be, no, that's, come on, you know, we can't, we can't say that. It's dismissed by most commentators. A few um, months ago, I don't know whether you heard of it, there was, a, there was actually a really good interview with Anthony Albanese by Mark Riley on Channel 7. Did anyone see that? No. But it, it was... <laughs> it was on national television. <laughs> but, uh, and um, it was actually, to be honest, it was a really good interview. And it's worth watching. It's probably on YouTube now. And it sort of, he revealed quite a bit of his heart, you know, about his relationship, about his past, about his son. And then he was asked a question about faith and belief. And um, he would describe himself as a self-professed, occasionally practicing Catholic. That was his background. And Mark Riley also had that background. So he asked him this question, do you believe in God? And I, at that point, you really tuned in because I want to know, well, what, what does he really believe? And he responded after actually some hesitation. He said, mm, um, I believe in a higher spirituality. He then quickly said, I believe in evolution, all of that as well, as if to counter his previous statement, which, which frankly didn't make sense to me, but made him appear tolerant to everyone and everything. You know, now politicians are aware that they, like us, are living in a world where tolerance appears to be the only religion that is universally acceptable. A higher spirituality caters equally for all. So, he expressed it in that way. I was reading a book called The New Tolerance, recently by Josh McDowell, the author that some of you may know. And he defined tolerance as, and I quote, where every individual's beliefs, values, lifestyle, and perception of truth claims are equal, absolutely equal. There is no hierarchy of truth. Your beliefs and my beliefs are equal, and all truth is relative. Now that's scary, <laughs> that's scary. In some ways you can say, well, it's lovely, that's lovely. Actually, it's scary if you believe in absolute truth. It's scary if you take a statement like Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the path like me. That would be rubbished by people who would see tolerance like that. John Stott stated powerfully, tolerance is not a spiritual gift. It is the distinguishing mark of postmodernism, and sadly, it has permeated the very fibre of Christianity. Why is it that those who have no biblical convictions or theology to govern and direct their actions are tolerated, whilst the standard of, or truth of God's word, rightly divided and applied, is dismissed as extreme opinion or legalism? Now, I would argue, brothers and sisters, if we do not have clear biblical convictions, then I guarantee that we will drift into a tolerance which is ungodly. I guarantee that's, that is, a, and I'm, I'm seeing it in the church in Australia at the moment, a drifting into tolerance which is ungodly. 
Now, if you don't believe me, listen to the words from the mouth of Christ in the book of Revelation. And um, Tim was quoting from the book of Revelation earlier. He says, to the angel of the church, this is Christ's really words. And this, this church that he's speaking of is a really great church. He says, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Now that could be written to us, hallelujah, you know. We're, we're, doing, okay, we're doing okay. But that's what he said to that church. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. In other words, I have this against you. You tolerate what is not right and what is not true. Now, church, we live in a context that I think is increasingly a bit like that. We live in a world and increasingly in a broader church environment where the embracing of immorality is seen as progressive. Those words are used, we're at the progressive end of the church because we're now embracing this, this, this and this. When Paul writes, stand firm in the Lord, he's increasingly writing to us in Australia in 2023, I believe that. And he's projecting, saying like, guys, stand firm. Now how do we do that? Okay, I want to get into some detail, it's alright to say that. So, how do we stand? How do we do it? Well, first of all, we stand in Him, okay? We stand in Him. My life is in Him. I'm not my own anymore. I'm His. There's an old hymn that says, I'm His and He is mine forever and forever. I'm in Him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm someone, I like to be liked by people. You know what I mean? I'm one of those sort of, you know, people, I, I like people to like me. I don't like it when people have a go at me because of statements I might, might make about biblical truth or different views or, or I might have about morality which is different than that because I'm a Christian. And, um, but the truth is, you know, I'm not my own anymore. <laughs> I might like to be like, but these views, I'm in him. I'm not primarily in me. I don't represent me anymore. I represent him. Amen? You represent Him. You don't represent yourself primarily. Now, Matthew 10, I was reminded of this verse recently, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before men and women, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Now, I'd rather be acknowledged by Him than by you, frankly. You know, I'd rather, or by anyone. I'd rather say, oh, well done, son. You know, when I'm representing Him and it's tough and... And it's complex, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll say that later, you know, there's, there's issues we're facing that are very complex, but we're trying, oh God, help me here. It says, I will acknowledge you before my Father. I know increasingly as the world we live in regresses, people will not speak well of those in Christ. I am reminded of that powerful verse in Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So I think, you know, you think, well, if everyone's speaking well, you think, oh, such a nice guy, and, you know, he's really, you know, he has very broad views and whatever you think, no, get worried, Peter. <laughs> if that's how you're seeing, get a bit worried because maybe you're stepping into areas that you shouldn't be. Sometimes we just need to overcome the fear of men 
and walk more in the fear of God. This one with blazing eyes like fire. This one that Tim was, you know, reading about. You know, I, I often dip into the Book of Revelation not to understand it all, but just to get a view. Like when you die, in a moment you're going to be there. You're going to see what heaven and is really like, you know. And you see these, you know, there'll be billions there worshiping and priests and whatever. There's this awesome, incredible God. I want to represent him. I want to be in the fear of him, not the fear of men. We stand firm in the Lord. He is the Lord. He is large. He's in charge of things. You know, we need to follow his example. And through his Holy Spirit, he's going to help us because he's near. So live in him. We stand in him primarily, not in ourselves. Secondly, we stand in his truth. Okay? His truth. Now, I want to emphasize that because... Don't make up your own truth because you have a particular bias about a particular thing. I've seen that in the body of Christ a lot over the years. Like someone has a real issue with this, you know, they regard this as the greatest sin ever, and they just make up their own truth about it. I think, no, don't do that. Stand in his truth. I love Ephesians 6, it's so powerful. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rules, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And it goes on and names different armour. It says, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, etc., etc. It's worth, you know, numerous preachers on. But I want to ask you a question this evening. How firmly is truth buckled around your waist this evening? How firmly is, you know, buckled around your waist? And I, I want to suggest this. If the only truth you receive that is buckled around your waist is the Sunday sermon, then your belt is loose and you'll not stand firm in 23. Okay, if you only, if your only truth is coming on a Sunday, you know, you're hanging out for Sunday, if you are not in the Word of God regularly, if you're not drinking it in, then you're not going to last in 23. You know, I'm daily in my workplace trying to work out the balance between grace and truth, how to address situations that affects people's lives, how do I respond to that dilemma, how do I share truth without causing unnecessary offence. And I'll tell you, if I'm not in his word daily bringing it in, I'm going to say the wrong thing, I'm going to, I'm going to tolerate things that I shouldn't, and on the other side I'm going to probably be offensive when I don't have to be. I need to be reading a lot the word of God, I need to let it drink in. Not just, you know, Sunday to Sunday. I'd be sunk if that was the only reading I did. I love that Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or set foot on the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the word of the Lord, and on it they meditate day and night. It says they're not going to wither. Now, does that describe you? I just love the word of God. I delight in it. 
Oh, I'm just going to read the Bible going, oh, you know. Oh, no, I don't see my, you know, don't, don't set unrealistic aims. So I've seen, you know, people that go, I'm going to get up. My New Year's resolution is 5 a.m. every morning. I'm going to study for an hour. And then by, you know, then by the second week, it's like, oh, I feel so condemned, you know. Then your breastplate of righteousness is coming off because you're thinking, Oh, I'm not even a Christian, you know, well, why can't I do this? No, but you know, God will help you. The Lord is near in 23. Just say, God, help me. Help me to get a love for the Word of God. I need to drink it in more. You know, the, the sort of, um, you know, I, I want to prosper when I do and stand firm. And I, I'd say it's, it's also, it's not just getting into truth, it's, it's trying to thrash it out, the application of it. Amen? So if you're in a connect group or in your 20s group or wherever you are, you need to thrash it out. You know, I need, I need to find out, you know, how do you apply that in this complex situation? We were talking, Chris, recently about some stuff, weren't we, about, you know, how do we apply, you know, situations? You know, we were really trying to come to some groups with it. And it's so important we do that. The issues we face in our society are probably more complex than they've ever been in terms of relationships. And we need to be able to, okay, what is the truth of God's word? How does that apply into this situation? So important. So do that. Make sure you do that. So we need to stand firm in his truth, not our own. We stand firm in him, um, you know, not on our own. Thirdly, we need to stand in gentleness. I want to say that as well. Okay, so I sometimes find it jarring when I see Christian apologists slamming people as they ask genuine questions about their perception of the world we live in. And I actually find it quite offensive. I think you are just doing what they're doing to you. You know, slamming people saying, no, this isn't true, you know, look at this person, you know, I'm a Christian, and I think, no, no, no. You know, Paul writes in Philippians 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The truth is we can still be gentle and firm. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness actually takes huge strength of character. And sometimes I think it's a question of motivation. You know, when I see and I had a recently where someone's been attacking me about an issue and I you know, I'm motivated by what is going on in their soul. I mean I I'm I don't it's like I know some of us we like different arguments. Um, I suppose now I'm more interested in winning someone's soul. You know, what is going on for this person? Why are they so, why were they so offended by what I said? You know, what's happened to them in their, in their past? You know, and they're the questions I ask. I think, Holy Spirit, will you help me here? So important that we do that. As Ephesians said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rules, against the authorities. We need to see that when we, when we sum up. They say, hey, there's stuff behind this. I believe that heading into this year and beyond, the following verse will need to be our guide as well. It's, uh, when Jesus sent out the 12, he said this, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be you therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Or the NIV says, shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. As one commentator writes, when people around us are being purposely hostile, how can we advance the kingdom of God effectively without becoming predatory ourselves? Jesus taught his followers that 
To be Christ-like in a godless world, they must combine the wisdom of the serpent with the harmlessness of the dove. Slamming people with truth will not affect change. Loving them and not and being passionate for their souls will make a massive difference. You know, the combination of grace and truth, Tim addressed that a few months ago. If you didn't hear the preach, hear it. I love that beautiful verse Susan and I were talking about it um, last night, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know what, people often don't actually hear what you say, but they remember the way you approached it. They remember the way that you were with them. And when you're talking about complex issues, and when you're concerned about their soul, God will help you to do that. So the good news is the Lord is there. He's there to help. We stand firm with the Lord in 23. That's what I felt God say. That's, that's a real charge that he's giving us. Stand firm. We stand firm in him. We stand firm in his truth. We stand firm in gentleness. Are you still with me? Are you with me? Okay, you, you, you please know my next two points are very brief. Okay? Number two, make disciples, okay? Make disciples. This is for every person in this room. Make disciples. It's a year to make disciples. As I was considering this word, early in the morning I thought of the word, the weight of the word, make, okay? Make disciples. Disciples don't just happen, okay? They need to be made. We have to make them. And Paul is a person who's very focused on that. You might have missed it, but in that passage, he suddenly addresses these two women who are having this argument. Like in the midst of these massive, you know, weighty theological things that he's saying, he says, hey, you two women, sort out your problems. Come on, you've done well, you've been with me. He, why is he doing that? Because he's concerned about discipleship. He wants people to come through things and sort it out. Our, our pastors at church, needs to be making disciples. My passion and your passion, we've been in Christian three months or three decades or more, we need to be disciple makers. If we're going to plant a congregation in Princess Forest later this year, which has been outlined, do you know about that, have you? Put up your hand if you've heard that said here. So some of you, so we're talking about planting a congregation in Princess Forest later this year. Well, we, we're going to need disciples. You know, disciples make sacrifices. Disciples step outside their comfort zone. Disciples are open to change. You know, I have Christian friends, in all seriousness, who are uncomfortable living Western people to road. They're uncomfortable with that because they feel that that would make them a Westie, which is not culturally where they want to be, okay? That's west of the Billwater Road. No, I can't do that. And others, well, you know, they progress to the Wakehurst Parkway. You know, they can live up to the Wakehurst Parkway, but any further than that, you know, it's just too much to ask, you know. Or, you know, some forest way. If you get to forest way, you're still on the beaches, but, okay, we can cope with that. But any other, you know, that's a big... And then the final frontier schools, Rosal Bridge. Once you go over the Rosal Bridge, you're lost to the west. You know. <laughs> well, in contrast to that, Jesus said, go into all the world <laughs> and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all I've taught you and lie with you to the end of the age. 
Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> Come on. I don't want to be second last, third last, fourth last, northern beaches Christians who can't move house down the road 10 miles to go to another congregation. God help us. We've got brothers and sisters in China dying for their faith, other people around the world think, God, come on us. We need disciples. Make disciples. The truth is, not many, a handful of people were baptised in this church last year. That's true, isn't it, Tim? Sad. A handful. God help us. Now, discipleship is taking place in this church. The kingdom is advancing. Parents are discipling their children, which is their, really their first call. Mums are discipling each other. Men have great groups that I've been in, you know, just visiting. I think, wow, great accountability. People are taking discipleship seriously. Women are sharpening each other in community. The 20s, I rate you guys. I mean, you are out there, you're learning more of the Holy Spirit, you're urging each other on, hallelujah, you know? And there have been a number of people saved in the 20s, I think. Brilliant, brilliant. Let's keep going for it. But of course, discipleship isn't largely in the church either. It's, it's bringing influence in the world. It's making disciples in the world. It's seeing people saved and added to the community of faith. And I consider myself a disciple maker wherever I am. You know, be an influencer for God. I'll never be a fashion influencer, that's fairly obvious. But I'll be a God influencer. You know, that's a new word in, you know, what do you do for a job? I'm an influencer. And there's all sorts of ways people influence and make money, as we know, on the internet and whatever. But you know, the biggest influence you can be for God. You can influence in every setting, wherever you go, you can be an influencer. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I see, you know, and you can do that in lots of ways. I'm just trying to cut through things, but you can do it in lots of ways. Like Paul said, he said, I've done it. He said, in leading the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed and by the power of signs and wonders, I proclaim the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around. So a quick summary of that is words, works and wonders. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go into another priest, but he's saying by what I've said, so when you want truth in, you'll say good things, works, kindness. Kindness, just be kind to someone. You know, it can blow people away when you're just kind to them. I've had that experience recently, I'm not always kind, but a few times I've been kind recently, and people have been absolutely blown away by it. Change, it changed the relationship because of one act of kindness. This lady said to um, a colleague of mine, he's a really good bloke, that guy. And, uh, and it was just one act of kindness, but also signs and wonders. You can lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And we need to be more into that. We need to be more pursuing that with all our hearts. I tell you, it opens lives. My son was here this morning, this is a nice um, son, and he was telling me a story after. He said, oh, Dad, I didn't tell you, I was on a plane. And uh, it goes along with, you know, the fact that the Lord is there and he's there to help us. And he was on a plane for work, and he just got chatting with this woman. And I don't know exactly the subject, we didn't get time to talk, but there was a subject that came up, and he was, he had very much taken a Christian perspective and got to talk about Jesus at the, at, during the conversation on the plane. And when he got off the plane, he met a woman who said, I just want you to know, I heard your conversation, I heard you mention Jesus, and I was praying for you the whole time. And she was a Christian and she was on the plane. 
Now I'll tell you, that is, we've got friends <laughs> with us, you know, the Lord is near. And sometimes that nearness is because a fellow Christian overhears something. I know I had a difficult conversation recently with someone and just at the right time, my daughter came up and joined that conversation. She was absolutely stunning. You know, that person then was not talking to a, an, old, an older man, but she was talking to a peer. And it just, it just really helped. I think the Lord is near. Guys, the Lord is near. So, disciple making. To stand firm, let's make disciples. Wouldn't it be great if by the end of the year you could say, oh, I saw so many people baptised. You know, we saw people, and, and it's just, it's not that you'll do it all. You'll just be one link in a chain. You know, maybe someone you've influenced, someone else will see saved. Hallelujah. Who, who knows what's going to happen to that woman on that plane? But we trust that God will bring other people to us. So make disciples. Thirdly and finally, eagerly await. Eagerly await. I wonder when you last heard a sermon on the fact that Jesus is coming again. I wonder when it was. Was it? Wouldn't it have been last week? Probably wasn't. It might have been a year ago, two years ago. I was trying to calculate in my mind. It was a long time for me, you know. Paul writes in our passage, but our citizenship in, is in heaven. And we eagerly await the Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The early church had an expectation that Jesus was coming again, and that expectation effect affected the way they lived. Totally changed the way they lived. I sometimes think when we break bread, we forget he's coming again. 1 Corinthians 11, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we look back, but we also look forward. He did this, praise God for what he did, and he's coming again. I remember when we used to um, marry people, Pat and Susan and I were married many years ago. It was said in those, those vows at the end, it says, for, uh, for as long as you both shall live, or until Jesus comes again. That's what, it, that's what it said. That's what the minister said, for as long as you both shall live, or until Jesus comes again. Because I don't know if you know this, but there's no marriage in heaven. Okay, it's finished there. Um, I don't look so disappointed. So, yeah. <laughs> I said that this morning, and like all, 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 the, all the men look a bit disappointed. A lot of the women look quite, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you really got through. <laughs> Until Jesus comes again. I want to say this, he's coming again. You know, Jesus is actually coming again. And I know that's not something you start a conversation with, with your friend who's struggling with you on other issues, and you say, oh, just to throw it in, the Saviour's coming again. And <laughs> look at you like, seriously? You are a nut job, mate. You know? But he is coming again. And he will affect total change for the world. And I just, I just felt the Lord say, tell them to remember that. You know, it's great to eagerly await holidays and great times with family and birthdays and eagerly await Christmas and the new house and a life partner and promotion. But I just want to put on the radar today an eager expect expectation of Jesus coming again. I just want you to at least think about it today. Stand firm, make disciples, 
eagerly await his coming again. Let's stand.